1 John chapter 2, we're going to be looking at just three verses in verses 12 through 14. And, and in these verses, as, as, as we, if you've been with us in this, uh, in this study so far, John has been, been at pains to, to seek to not only um, assure and, and reassure uh, the believers to whom he is writing of what is true and real and how they can know uh, the, the, uh, have assurance in their faith in God. But he's also doing that by exposing um, a false assurance and a false teaching that would seek to lead away and deceive. And, and so he's been pretty straightforward and pretty uh, direct in the things he said thus far. And so we come to these verses and, and it's almost like John just pauses for a minute. And he says, I need to remind you of something. I need to remind you of something in the midst of this. And so he, he shares this reminder in 1 John 2, beginning in verse 12. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the evil one. Father, would you add your blessing now and the illumination of your spirit to the reading and the hearing and the teaching of your word. Lord, sanctify us in your truth, because your word is truth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The test has come back negative. Probably most of us here have had that experience at least a few times in the past two years during this pandemic. It's good news. The test is negative. Yes, some have received the opposite news and had to take measures to deal with a possible infection or, or the experience and very real pain and sickness that COVID can cause. But even if you've, you've had the virus, it is likely that at some point you got the good news that your test is negative. By the way, has anybody ever had a problem with the fact that they call a Good thing, a negative test. I think it's the only, I think medic, in the medical community, it's like the test is negative, and my first response is, oh no, <laughs> but it's actually a good thing. We'll leave it at that. But how do you receive that kind of good news? Maybe you were relieved, thankful, reassured, maybe rejoicing even, if you had, especially if you had some symptoms or were exposed to someone with the virus. Maybe you were not surprised or had a kind of smug, well, I knew it, response. Maybe you were momentarily encouraged, but then came the return of anxious and doubtful thoughts of, how do I really know it's negative? Perhaps you were a little miffed that you even had to take a test at all and you just blew it off as no big deal. How you respond to the good news of a, of a, a negative test like that probably has to do with a number of things. Your personal experience 
with the virus or someone who's had it, what you've heard and learned about it and from whom, how you've seen it used in the, the broader culture, maybe twisted and used by people to further various other agendas. And yet, however you receive it, the bottom line is that if the test is negative, it's good news. It's good news. How do you hear and receive the good news of the gospel? The Apostle John, as I said, is writing this letter with the purpose of giving encouragement and giving assurance to those who have heard and received the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants us to know that we know him and that we have fellowship with him and eternal life in him. He wants us to have an accurate and true diagnosis of our spiritual health in Christ and to live and rest in the light of his grace and his truth. But he goes about that by repeatedly warning against and exposing a a dangerous and a potentially deadly spiritual virus, if you will, that threatens to undermine that grace and and the truth of the gospel and to deceive a person into thinking that they're okay, that they know and have fellowship with God, when in reality they continue to live in the, in the darkness and the destructiveness of sin. And so again, he doesn't mince words, even at the beginning of his letter, as he lays out certain symptoms, he offers up various, various tests, if you will, with, with regard to knowing and having life in Jesus Christ. And he's very clear He says, you know that you know Jesus and have fellowship with God when your life is characterized by certain things, by acknowledging and confessing sin, by by keeping Christ's commands and walking in the light of God's truth, and by loving one another with a Christ-like love, as Pastor Kyle reminded us so well last week. Now, that's actually good news. It's good news. But how we hear and receive that good news can have unintended consequences, particularly for those with with maybe a a, a sensitive spirit and soul. Some will hear what John is writing and see that they continue to fall short and constantly question, constantly bring in question the validity of their faith. Now, it's it's good to have a regular checkup into the state of our souls. That's what John is is saying, and that's what we read elsewhere in Scripture. To to self-examine and to guard against, or, or to guard our salvation. And if John has not rattled your cage of spiritual complacency, even in this first chapter and a half, then you probably do have cause for doubts. But just as the constant concerns and threats of this virus can lead to an unhealthy introspection and constant fear regarding our physical health, so we can also find ourselves living constantly under the weight of the gospel's warnings without receiving and resting and rejoicing in the realities of the gospel's great promises. And so John, with, with great fatherly love and pastoral care, as if he realizes that, that his exhortations have potential to, to discourage and cast doubt in the hearts of his readers, he takes a moment to offer up this gospel encouragement. This gospel encouragement. To assure them and to remind them of, of what they have and what they are and who they know. And sometimes when, when we are 
when we are feeling discouraged or, or facing doubts in our faith, when we are in danger of, of being defeated and overwhelmed, not only do we need to be warned of those dangers, but we need to be reminded, we need to be encouraged of the strength and the standing that we have in Christ to deal with those dangers and those temptations. And John is writing here in these verses to remind those to whom he sends this letter and those of us who still read it today to remind them that in Christ the gospel test has come back negative. <laughs> and that good news, that good news should motivate us and to persevere and to press on with confidence in the difficult journey of faith. Now, there has been all kinds of commentary and debate about just who John is addressing here in these verses as he writes. He addresses those he calls little children, those he calls fathers, those he calls young men, and he repeats himself twice in each instance for for the purpose, most likely, of of emphasizing and, and reinforcing what he is saying. And without going into a lot of detail... Spending much time on that, I think the best understanding of this is that, is that John is addressing those in the church as a whole as little children, just as he has done several times elsewhere in this letter. Back in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, the beginning of this chapter, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And then... He points in particular to fathers and to young men to to distinguish those who are are more spiritually mature, those who have walked perhaps longer in the faith, and those who are perhaps younger in the faith and and facing uh, the the heat of spiritual battle. The fact that he calls them fathers and, and young men may have been addressing groups of particular influence in the church. And in the battle against false teachers and Satan. But what he says about all three of these groups holds true in some sense and should be a deep encouragement for every believer in Christ. Whether old or young, whether male or female. And as your pastor who is getting ready to be gone for a while on sabbatical, I found it a gift from the Holy Spirit to bring us to these verses today. It wasn't really planned that way so much. But I can share with you before I go and that I can hear with you these gospel encouragements to be reminded anew of what is true of us as God's children, young and old in the faith, joined together in Christ and called to journey together in love and in the light of His truth and His grace in Christ. And so I want to just look at four gospel encouragements. Nothing new to many of us. Perhaps something very new to some of us. Four gospel encouragements to be reminded of and to rest in as those who are part of God's family. John gives encouragement number one. Your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. John says, I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. The very core of the gospel is that great truth. Your sins are forgiven 
It's glorious. It's wonderful. John is reminding us here, not of, not of anything that we do, but something that has been done for us. This is the objective grounds of our assurance. Our sins have been forgiven. We have been washed clean of the stain and the shame of sin and the separation it brings between us and God. And it's been done not by the, our obedience to Christ's commands, not by our love for one another, not by how sorry we are for those sins, not by anything that we have done or can do, but by the blood of Jesus Christ, which cleanses us from all sin. We are forgiven, John says, for his name's sake. See, Jesus' name is, is bound up with his divine nature and bound up with his redemptive purposes. It includes all that, all that John has been unfolding about him, the word of life who has, was manifest by God and has proclaimed the message and revealed to us God. The angel told Joseph to, to call the name of Mary's child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus, speaking of that work, told his disciples in Luke chapter 24, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Based on what Christ has done on the cross, your guilt for sin is removed. God's wrath against sin is, is appeased. And we are forgiven. We are cleansed from all unrighteousness. That is good news. So when we come to know Jesus and to trust in his name and to receive his atoning sacrifice for sin as our own, John says, your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. How do you receive that news? How does it sink down in your heart that your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus? God accepts you in Christ. God no longer looks at you as a, as a rebellious enemy, but as a forgiven child in His Son, Jesus Christ. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ, God does not condemn you. Others may condemn you. The world may condemn you. You may condemn yourself. But the holy creator, the righteous judge of the universe, comes to you as a humble servant, laying down his life for you and saying to you, your sins are forgiven. Go in peace. And so, brother and sister, whatever sin plagues your soul, whatever sin has brought suffering to your life, God says to you this morning in the name of Christ Jesus, you are forgiven in his name. Let that sink in. Let that wash over your heart like rain on a parched ground that brings forth new life. In Christ's name, your sin is forgiven. And because of that gospel encouragement of, of reconciliation through the forgiveness of sins, we have the second gospel encouragement that John gives of relationship with God as our Father. 
You know the Father, he says. The knowledge in verse 13, he says, I write to you children because you know the Father. The knowledge of which John speaks here is not just, not just intellectual assent. It's not just information that we know about God. It's not just some, some label we give to him because we think this is how he is and so forth. It's, it's, a, it's an experiential, an intimate, a, a relational knowledge. This is knowing someone up close and personal. John says, we have been, you, we know the Father. We have been brought in and received and adopted into the family of God such that, that we know Him and experience life with Him as our Heavenly Father. Now, I know for some, perhaps for many of us, the idea of God as Father is tainted. It's tainted by perhaps negative experiences or painful relationships maybe we have had with our earthly fathers. But even the, the pain we may experience in relationship to our dads points to the fact that we all know, we all long for what it means to have a loving, caring, protecting, providing father. So to say that we know God as Father, we know as Father, the one who is all-powerful, who is all-perfect. It's a source of great encouragement. Better than the best of earthly fathers, our Heavenly Father knows us and promises to meet our every need according to the riches of His grace and power. He will teach and guide us in the way we should go and in paths of righteousness. He will nurture and nourish us as his beloved children. He will correct and discipline us for our good and because of his great love. Knowing God as Father means he cannot stop loving us. He will never abandon us. He will never turn his back on us. J.I. Packer called our adoption as God's children the highest privileges, privilege and blessing of the gospel. To know God as Father is to have access, to have acceptance, to have assurance of God's full fatherly care and His concern for you as His child. You know the Father in Christ. He's always there for you. He is for you as those whom he calls sons and daughters. And so as, as little children of God, we are forgiven in Christ and we have a heavenly father in God who is always for us. And then John moves on to gospel encouragement number three. Twice John says the same things to those whom he calls father. Why does John go from little children to fathers to young men? It would seem if there was some order there, you might think it the other way. And the answer to that is I have no idea. But twice John says the same things to those whom he calls father. Fathers. I am writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. John takes that, that idea of knowing the Father, knowing God as Father, and he expands it to some degree by saying, you know him who is from the beginning. Who is John talking about here? Well, 
in light of the fact that he refers back in chapter 1, verse 1, to Jesus using this same language, that which was from the beginning. And that John is at pains here in this letter to address false teaching that would bring into question the the identity and the, the deity of Jesus as the eternal Son of God and as Messiah. John is making the point here that as Christians... We know him, the word of life, the logos of God, who was with God in the beginning and who is God and who has come in the flesh to reveal God and to bring us to God that we might know him more fully. Essential to the assurance and peace that we truly know God the Father is that we know the one he has sent, his son Jesus. And John says, you know him who is from the beginning. And I think to some degree, John purposely leaves the reference vague because throughout this letter and throughout his gospel, to know Jesus is to know God. And you cannot know God if you do not know Jesus. And this assurance and this, and this peace grows as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we abide in Christ and he abides in us. Again, this is not just knowing about, but truly knowing in the sense of living our lives devoted to. Living our lives in accordance with and in utter dependence on our our union and our communion with Christ Jesus. Paul says, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul counted everything else in life rubbish for the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus and being found in him. Now, all all true believers know Jesus at, at, at this foundational level of being intimate in intimate saving union with him. But as we grow older, as we mature in the faith, that knowledge, that experience grows as as Jesus makes himself more and more known to us in his word and by his spirit, as we see and experience his provision and his deliverance, as we understand and embrace more his truth, as we live and and walk in obedience to his commands and in his love, we come to love and to trust and and to grow to be more like Jesus. We know him who is from the beginning. And you know when you're around someone like that, don't you? There's a steadiness. There's a, a peace. There's a humility. There's a confidence. There is, is, is a love both for God and for others. There is an aroma of Christ and godliness that springs from them because they know him who was from the beginning. They know Jesus. They are in union with him. Such knowledge and maturity doesn't happen overnight, but grows as we press on with him and walk with him in the faith. And as we grow in that knowledge of him, we share it with others and encourage and and pass on that knowledge to others who are coming to know him as well. So in Christ, your sins are forgiven in his name. You know God the Father, and you know Jesus Christ, the divine, eternal Son of God. And then gospel encouragement number four. And I'm going to combine really a couple here into into one. John says, 
to young men, those who are in the thick of battle, of the battle, spiritual battle, struggle in the faith. You are strong and victorious over sin and Satan. You are strong and you are victorious over sin and Satan. We may know our sins are forgiven and God is our Father. We may rest in the fact that we know and are growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. But as Christians, we still find ourselves battling the accusations and the temptations of our enemy, the evil one, the one who, who is intent on deceiving us and out to kill and steal and destroy And as God is doing his sanctifying and shaping work in our lives as we walk and journey in this world, dealing with our sin, growing us in his word, it's easy to feel like we're losing the battle. To hear John say, you are victorious over the evil one, many of us are going, well, I certainly don't feel very victorious. We don't confess and repent of our sins like we should. We fail to keep God's commands and to love others like we know we should. We find ourselves at times questioning ourselves and questioning God. And John says, take heart. Why? Well, first he says, the victory is already yours. Twice he says, you have overcome the evil one. Does that mean the devil and his accusations and temptations are are no longer a threat? Not at all. In fact, the more we we grow in our love for God and in our our, uh, walking in in the light of his truth, sometimes the, the more we become a target. The fact that the battle is hard is why John is writing this letter. But he wants to encourage, he wants to ensure you and me that in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, our enemy is already defeated. He may wound you, he may knock you down, he may discourage you, but he cannot destroy you. He cannot destroy you. Indeed, Jesus himself came to destroy him and to destroy his works By virtue of our knowing Christ and being in union with Christ, sin and Satan no longer have ultimate power or mastery over us. In Christ, Paul writes, we are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. In Christ, you and I have been given victory over sin and death and the one who has the power of death. So John says, you have overcome the evil one. And you have overcome him, he says, because you are strong. In Christ, God gives us the power to fight the battle. You can't fight it yourself. You know that if you've tried. I know that when I've tried. In Christ, we are given his power to fight the battle. It's not in our strength, but in his strength that enables us to, to resist temptation. To flee the evil one. To endure the struggles and the pain that that sin brings upon us. Indeed, Paul reminds us that that at times it's when we are at our weakest, when we are at our most vulnerable, that the power and the strength of God are exhibited the most. 
When you feel utterly weak, when you feel helpless, when you feel unable to fight, at that moment, it's the grace and the strength of God's Spirit in you that enables you to press on and to stand firm. That's good news. So be encouraged, John says. You are strong. And that strength and that victory are possible, he says, because the word of God which abides in you. The weapon with which we overcome the evil one is the living and active word of God recorded for us in his scriptures. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And really here is why so many feel like they fail or indeed do fail in the battle. We fail to overcome because the word of God really is not abiding in us. How does that connect to what, what John has already been saying? Well, you cannot truly, truly understand and experience God's forgiveness. You cannot truly grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. You cannot wage war with Satan and stand strong in the strength and might of the Lord. You cannot keep his commands and love like he has loved if you are not knowing and growing and soaking and living in the word of God as he's revealed it to us. Our strength is in Christ who said himself, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. That's not a blanket promise of just I'm going to start throwing things out and, and asking, but he says when you're in my will, when you are uh, uh, connected with me and living in union with me, my will will be your will. And I will be joyful to give to you the victory. To be strong in the Lord, to know the victory over the evil one which Christ has won for us is to have God's word abide in you and to have it lived out in your life. Gospel encouragement. In Christ, you are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven in his name. You know the fatherhood of God. You know the eternal Son of God who has come and revealed Him to us in Christ Jesus. And you have victory over the evil one and are strong in the battle of faith. In the midst of the warning against dangers of sin and deception of false teaching and shallow assurance, in a world where we need to constantly examine ourselves and put our faith to the test of his, God's truth and grace lived out in our lives. Where is the hope that we can stand against such dangers? Where is the assurance that you can persevere and stand firm? John says, it is in Christ Jesus. It is in Christ. In him your sins are forgiven. In him you are adopted and know him as a father. In him you know the eternal God who is from the beginning and will be to the end. And in him you are strong and have his word abiding in you and have overcome the evil one. In Jesus Christ, the test is negative. And that's good news. That's good news. How do you hear that good news? How do you receive it? Brothers and sisters, let it be gospel encouragement 
to those who are in Christ. And let it be a gospel invitation to those who are not. To come and receive him. To confess your sin and receive his forgiveness. To be welcomed as his child. To live in the strength of his might. In the light of his truth. To do that by believing in him. Embrace it, pursue it, grow in it, and rest in it. In him who gave himself for you and for me. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for good news. Help us to see ourselves in light of those realities. Give us eyes to see and hearts to believe. And Spirit, would you do your transforming work to make these truths ours by experience that we might rest and rejoice and live in light of the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father, may that be manifest in our lives through our humble confession, our persistent trust and obedience to your word, and our abounding Christ-like love to one another. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.